So as we continue our series on the culture of living hope, this is the seventh message. And uh, today we're going to be talking about reproduction and multiplication. So the first half is about how babies are made and the second half is algebra. You guys, you guys ready? Oh, wait, no. So the question that we have to ask is, is what are we here for? Yeah, you guys are excused for the first part. You apparently know how that works. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> but the question that, that I want to pose this morning is, what are we here for? As a church, what, what is the, the purpose of Living Hope Family Church? What is the purpose of, of any church, really? I mean, are we here to be entertained? Is it just something because, you know, we couldn't find anything else to do on Sunday morning? So we just, we just come here and because Pastor Wayne's, you know, handsome and funny and, and all those things. I mean, I understand that that's why my wife comes. But uh, no, I understand that that's why you guys come too. But that shouldn't be the only reason why you're here. The reality is, is that there is a, a world of people that are lost. There's a world of people that don't know Jesus. We, we, uh, I was talking to one of the other pastors, and, and like if you go back east, there's something like one church for every 50 people. I mean, it's, in, it's insane. Like the, the, the saturation of church to people there is, is pretty crazy. But in Arizona, there's only one church for every 1,400 people. If we got everybody saved in Arizona, every church would be a megachurch. And uh, there's so many people out there that need to know Jesus, that need to hear the gospel. And that's what the church was made for. That's why, why Christ built his church, is that we could grow it, that we could introduce people to him, that, that the lost would be saved. And there's a, a plan that he has put in place for that to happen. That's the first part of that we're going to talk about is reproduction and multiplication. Is, is, as individuals, we should be reproducing people just like us. If you're on the worship team, you should be investing into people and reproducing worship team members. As a pastor, I'm required to, to invest into people and begin re- reproducing teachers and pastors. If you're on the, working back on the sound, you know, we should be reproducing people that can do sound and all those different things. And we should be reproducing so that that way as the church grows, we have people to fill those spots and then and a multi, eventually we're going to multiply as we send out other plant out other churches. And like we've talked about before, our, our motto as a church is to evangelize, to equip, and empower. And we'll talk about the evangelization part a little more next week, but today we're going to deal with, the, with the, 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 basically equipping and empowering people to go out and step out into their ministry. And it's not just the job of the pastor or the couple leaders in the church, but it's the job of all of us to be raising people up. And the truth is, is, as a church, our goal is to reach people. Our goal is to make an impact in this community. To introduce people to Jesus, but not just introduce them to Jesus, because if that's all we are doing, we're actually failing people. But instead, we're to disciple them as well, right? We all know what the Great Commission is, to go out of the world and, and, and tell people about Jesus. No, it's to make disciples. We don't want to make converts. We want to make disciples. We want, to, we want people to, to, to grow and, and, and step out into what God has for their lives, to learn more about Jesus. And there's many reasons for that. One, we want to disciple them so that they're not easily whisked away by any wind of doctrine, that they can learn what the Scripture says about who God is and, more importantly, about who they are in Christ. And then we want them to be able to, to step up and do the same thing to train people and teach others to do the same thing and then we could have a a strong body instead of one that's just going with the crowd 
you know, we're, we're past a time now where, where, where people are Christians in this country because that's what our, our country does. You know, I'd be hard-pressed that this many would argue that we're not even a, a Christian country anymore as we try to remove God from everything. These, they want Him taken off the money. They want Him out of the schools. They want Him out of, out of uh, out, yeah, everywhere. The funny thing is they want to move God out of everything, but they, they're trying to move everything else in. I just heard that uh, Obama swore a, a new uh, uh, Supreme Court justice in on the Koran, which blows me away. Why can't we pull God out of everything? But put all this other stuff in place. There seems to be a, a split brain thing going on there. But uh, the truth is, is that, that we're not a country that, that Christ, being a, a Christian is not the end thing anymore. So we're going to have to train people. We're going to have to invest into people. We're going to have to teach people if we want to see uh, the church strengthened in this day and age. Amen? So the first thing I want you to understand is that reproduction is actually always been the plan of God since the very beginning. In Genesis 1, 11 through 13, it says, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And then in Genesis 1, through 25, it says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then another one that talks about this is this is, you know, we got the, the plants, we got creatures. And then in Genesis 1.20 it says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish in the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over every living thing that moves on earth. So we see that, that everything is supposed to be fruitful and multiply and reproduce. But something I don't know if you noticed as I was saying, because it gets repetitious in my own head when I'm saying it, so you got to hear it too, but it was, is, which is their seed, each according to its kind according to their own kinds, according to its kind, according to their kinds, according to their kinds, according to their kinds, according to its kind. What we're seeing here is this idea that reproduction has always been a plan of God, and it's to reproduce the very same thing that it is. You're never going to have a, an apple tree drop a seed and out sprouts out of it an elephant. Because trees reproduce after their own kind. And so do animals. We're never going to have a donkey give birth to a pig. The truth is, is that the reproduction has always been the plan of God. That's how, we, that's how we increase, is by reproduction. If we want to increase as a church, we need to, to invest into people. If we want to, to plant churches, we have to invest into people and raise up pastors. If we want to have our youth groups grow, we have to invest into people and have youth leaders grow. If we want our worship team to grow, we have to invest into to, to worship team members so that they will grow up and that they will continue to bring people in as well. If we want our, our prayer team to grow, we have to invest into people and teach them how to pray. And then they can teach others how to pray and it continues to go that way. And the reality is, is this isn't just in the church and, and you know, you can read the scriptures so that makes sense, but, but it's also more than just a physical sense as well. But we reproduce um, attitudes and we reproduce spirits as well and we see this every single day. And we see it all the time because we see cycles of destruction repeated over and over and over again in this world. 
We see people that are, that are, are, are bad parents that, that, that do all kinds of crazy things and, and they drink and they smoke and they do all kinds of stuff in front of their kids and then they wonder why their kids grow up to be just like them. And that doesn't necessarily mean that if you have kids that are ornery that you're a bad parent. Sometimes kids are just ornery and do dumb things. They're, they're responsible for their own actions. But the reality is, is they do watch us. Our kids watch us to see what we're doing. My son, even though he, he hates to it, oh, he hates to admit it when I point it out to him, it drives him crazy, but he imitates me all the time. And when I get interested in something, all of a sudden he'll get interested. And I remember one time I, I wanted to learn how to draw, so I sat down and I just started focusing on it because I, I, I've determined in my life that uh, uh, most people find hobbies and they do hobbies. I've determined that my hobby is learning new hobbies. So I learn stuff, and then I get done with it, and I get bored, and I, I find something else to learn. So my hobby is learning new things. So I'm constantly getting into So I got into drawing, and I want to learn how to draw. And, and uh, uh, technically, I, I taught myself how to draw. So I don't have the creative part, but I can technically draw something. If I see it, I can reproduce it. And, and uh, so I started teaching myself that, and then all of a sudden, my son, he was drawing like crazy, too. He wanted to learn how to draw. And then I got into some computer modeling ones, 3D modeling, and I started doing that, and now all of a sudden my son wanted to learn that stuff. And then, uh, but it seems like everything that I, photography, I got into photography, and my son wanted to do photography. And actually, the only thing I can't get him to follow, I want him to get into coding with me. And he did it for like a a minute and a half, and he was like, nope. (laughs) But, uh. My son, he, he, he imitates me all the time, and he, and he hates that he does it. Because if, if you point it out, he's like, no, I don't. But the reality is, is that, that, that that's just how it works. And the people that you spend time with are going to see what you're doing and do those kind of things as well. That's why you ever, the, the expression that you've ever heard, the apple doesn't hurt, fall far from the tree. That's exactly what this is talking about. It's, we're always reproducing and as Christians, we should be reproducing as well. We should be creating people just like us. And the reality is, is that we all, you probably have heard it said that we should all have a, a, a Paul, a Timothy, and a, and a Barnabas. We should all have a Paul, someone who's investing into us, where we're the, where we're the disciple. And we should all have a Timothy where, where we're like Paul, where we're discipling, investing into somebody else. Paul, Paul invested into people, and he had Timothy and Titus. He produced other pastors, and it's not even the only one, and we'll look at a few other examples in the, in the scriptures today of reproduction, but the truth is we should be reproducing other people just like us. One of the, the greatest stories that I heard about this was Pastor Larry Neville. He's the, the, the president of Praise Chapel, and his son uh, got up there and was ministering one day. We were at a conference, and and he gets up there and he starts talking about his experience and his testimony. And he was asked, why are you a pastor? And he says, because my dad was a pastor. I'm doing what I saw my, my dad do. So my dad was, he said, if my dad was a mechanic, I would probably be a mechanic. But my dad was a pastor and he taught me how to be a pastor. And that's why I'm following in his footsteps. And that's why my son, I keep telling my son, he's going to be a preacher. He's going to be a pastor. And he didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to hear it. And then one day God touched him and spoke to him and said, you're going to be a preacher. Tried to tell him. He wouldn't listen to me, so now he's got to listen to God. But it's because that's what I do. He's following in my, I'm reproducing in my son. In 2 Timothy 2 2, it says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is uh, Paul talking to Timothy, who was one of his pastors that he, he trained up. 
And the reality is, is that, that this doesn't just go for Timothy, but we're all stewards of what God has entrusted to us. He says, entrust these. We're able to be in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men. And I find that interesting because it doesn't say to just give it willy-nilly, but to entrust it in faithfulness. That means that what we have is, is important to not let get corrupted, to not let get um, um, influenced by outside in- sources, but rather to, to, to entrust what we've been taught, what the gospel says fully, into others. And it's our responsibility not only to entrust it, but to guard it, to make sure it doesn't get messed up. And the reality is, is that in order to teach somebody, you have to learn it at some point as well. If you want to teach something, if you actually ever want to learn something really, really well, if you ever want to learn anything, the best way to do that is to begin to teach it. Because you get the basics, but then as you, when you have to learn how to teach it, when you have to learn how to tell somebody how to do it, that's when you really learn something. I remember when I used to, I used to be a trainer at Applebee's, and uh, I thought I knew my job pretty well, but when I, when I began to train people, I realized that I was lacking in quite a lot of areas. I was winging it in a lot of areas. But the reality is, is that uh, as in the church, we need to make sure that we're not doing, we have to, to be doing a good job. We're entrusting something to somebody who's going to repeat the process. And we see that exact thing, the reproduction and multiplication here. Paul says, I am investing into you. I am multiplying into you. And he says, and I want you to do the very same thing. And that's what we're all required to do. In Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, it says, "Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another." In Proverbs thirteen twenty, it says, "Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm." There's a couple different principles being being kind of the same thing, but described in a different way. But basically, what it's saying is that when when people come together, we have an influence on one another. You see, iron rubbing on iron sharpens the blade because of, of two things. One, if it's, a, if it's a rough stone or if it's something rough, it'll begin to remove all those rough bits, all those, those burrs and the, and the stuff that's, that's making the, the tool ineffective. You know, if you have a knife that's got jagged edges and it's, it's, it's not an effective knife, it's not an effective tool. But as we come together and we begin to invest into one another, as we begin to teach, we begin to, to replicate what we have in others, we begin to rub off those sharp bits. And the tool becomes effective. The person becomes more effective as a Christian. They become more effective in what they're doing because they're with other Christians as they begin to hone one another. And sometimes a knife gets dull. Have you ever picked up a knife that's been sharpened not too long ago, but it still doesn't seem as sharp as it should be? Does anybody know how to use a steel? Used a a, a steel? (laughs) Give it to Jan. All right. If you don't know how to use a steel, just give your knife to Jan. She'll take care of it. But what most people don't know, and if you've ever seen one, they're the, they look like a, a, a yeah, they don't look like a sword or something, but they're, they're a round, a, a, usually a round piece of metal on a handle, and they have ridges in it. And most people think that when they're using that, they're actually sharpening their knife. You're not sharpening your knife when you do that. You're, what actually happens is the edge of a knife is a, is a microscopic razor blade edge. And when you use it as you cut through stuff, when it starts to get dull before it needs a real sharpening, it's because that edge folds over. And what happens is, is instead of having that super sharp edge, it folds over as you're using it. You take a steel, when you rub on it, it rubs that edge back over into sharpness. See, sometimes we need, we need a sharpening stone. We need to, be, to get that stuff rubbed off. But sometimes we just need to be honed back into where we are, reminded of those different things. And we do that by having people around us that are investing in us. Amen? 
And the other point that we see here is that when people are around us, we influence one another. But it happens for better or for worse. Proverbs 13.20, whoever walks with the wise become wise, but, but with the companion of fools will suffer harm. The truth is, is that we're reproducing always. Even if you don't want to, your, your kids are watching or your coworkers are watching you. And the people that you hang around with have an influence on you. They, they say something like that your income is within 5% of your five closest friends. Uh, the, 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 the stuff that you do, and you, you see it in our kids all the time, right? We want to we influence who our kids hang out with because if our kids hang out with idiots, they turn into idiots. And they do dumb things. But if we can get our kids hanging out with people that are good, that's why we want, want them in the church hanging around with other Christians and all these things because we want them to, to make smart choices in their lives. And our kids get upset with us because they don't understand what we're doing. What the reality is, is, is we, most of us have been there and done that. We, we thought it was the right thing to do, and then when we get older, we realize that, man, we made some dumb choices. And we want to teach our kids that they don't have to do the same thing. That they can skip that part of life that's just awful. And it's hard. So we want them to be around good people because we realize that whoever's around them will, will into, to, to enter in and make a difference. The scripture says to, that, that uh, uh, bad company ruins good morals. The reality is, is if we hang around with people that are doing unwise things, um, we're going to begin to do those things as well. And as much as we want to influence them, we have to be careful because a lot of times that goes both ways. We're like, no, we're going we're gonna to make an impact on them. That's why we're doing this. And we want to reach the world. It doesn't mean we don't spend time with people in the world. We still pour into them. But our, the people we spend the most time with, the people we trust uh, our, our lives with, need to be people that are people that we want to be like. Amen? And that goes for anything. If you're in here and you want to learn how to do something, you want to be better at something, then spend time with the people that are doing those things. You want to be a better evangelist? Find people that are good evangelists and spend time with them. If you want to be uh, better at prayer, go to the prayer meeting and listen to people pray and learn how to do it. Amen? In Acts 18, 24 through 26, this is now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. And he was an eloquent man competent in the scriptures he had been instructed in the way of the lord and being fervent in spirit he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning jesus though he knew only the baptism of john and began to speak boldly in the synagogue but when priscilla and aquila heard him they took him aside and explained to him the way of god more accurately this is what i wanted to put in because this is an example of exactly what we were just talking about right now where people are rubbing up against each other and influencing one another now, Apollos, this guy right here, he's, he's already doing a good work. It's, it doesn't say anything bad about him. Matter of fact, it says that he was, he was an eloquent man. He was competent in the scriptures. He was instructed in the way of the Lord. He was fervent in spirit. And he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. He seems like he pretty much had it figured out. He had it going, going good. But what he didn't know about was the baptism uh, in the Father and the Son. Holy Spirit. He only knew about the baptism of John, which was for repentance of sins. And he came, and, and Priscilla and Aquila, they came up to him, and they began to explain to him the way of God more accurately. And what this says to me as I look at this, I see this reproduction happening, because Priscilla and Aquila have something that he does, and they begin to pour into him and invest into him. And that's a good thing, right? We want to reproduce into others. We want to help them to grow. We want to disciple them so they'll be more effective in the kingdom of heaven so that they can go ahead and do the same thing. And we know that this is true because Apollos, we found out later in 1 Corinthians, if you were just going to the Bible study not too long ago, 
this, this last one we did on 1 Corinthians, we saw that Apollos was, was mentioned in that. And, and Paul goes, uh, he says, you know, I don't know who was baptized in my name. And you guys say you're of Apollos and you're of Paul and all these things. So apparently Paul at this point is investing into others. He's making new Christians. He's baptizing people. He's, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. And unfortunately, there's some, some weirdness going on. People are getting a little bit crazy with it. But, but, but he is multiplying. He is replicating. And he is making new believers. And we all get to see what, what happens as we continue to train people. We continue to grow. And sometimes, like in that story, we do crazy things. But we continue to grow and be invested into. But the other thing we see is that we know that he's this, this great man of God. He's doing amazing things. Which reminds me that it doesn't matter where we're at in our walk. We can always be taught. We can always be learned something else. We always need to be honed and invested into. Amen? Next thing I want to talk about is church planting. We've talked about individual reproduction, but I believe as a church we need to be reproducing as well. And you guys have heard me talking about it. We're part of Praise Chapel, and we're, we're looking at getting involved in another local church planting movement because planting churches, reproducing churches, is important to us as a church. In Titus 1.5 it says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. This is the call for us, just as it was for Titus. Titus is another one of Paul's pastors. Paul pastor trained Titus to be a pastor, and he sent them out. And basically what he said was, is, is I'm sending you out to, to lead and pastor this church, and I want you to do the same thing. I want you to raise up leaders and appoint them as elders. An elder in, in the, uh, uh, the scriptures, there's only two titles, as elders and deacons. Basically, elders are your leaders, your pastors and deacons are, is everybody else that helps in ministry in, in the church. And he's saying, I want you to appoint pastors in every town as I directed you. Because the reality is, is replication of the church is important to the body of Christ. We are going to reach far more people by planting a bunch of little small churches than having one great big mega church. And I've got nothing against mega churches. That's fine if that's what is happening. But, but as a church, our goal is to plant churches like ours. Because every little small church is going to have a, a better sphere of influence. We're going to have a, a longer reach collectively than one big church in one place. And we want to reach people for Jesus. We want them to have the same hope that we have and the same, uh, the, the same change inside of them as we have. And we want to reach as many people as possible. And the reality is, is that this is a messy process. This is not, this is not an easy thing. I I know from personal experience, but also know from seeing other stuff, but planning a church is, isn't easy. In Praise Chapel, they refer to, to birthing churches as much like birthing children. It doesn't come with a manual. It doesn't, you're not ever ready for it. You know, if we all waited till we were ready to have children, I mean, the, the, the population would just die out. You know, if we, we had to make sure we had enough money and we had enough wisdom and enough know-how, I mean, everybody screws up their first kid. They come out, and we don't know what to do. And then the second kid, it's a little bit less. And by the, by the third kid, it's completely opposite. You don't even care anymore. Nothing bothers you. You remember when your first kid, they're, they're in the dirt. Oh, get out of the dirt. You're going to get sick. Put some, put some uh, uh, sanitizer on. And by the third kid, you're just like, go outside and play in the mud. You know, the reality is, is there's no manual for it. And you figure it out as you go. And by the third one, you're starting to figure it out. You're realizing, hey, maybe some of the stuff that I thought was important is not, and some of the stuff that I thought wasn't important is. And the same is true in church planting. We're going to send people out, 
And it's going to be hard. It's going to be messy. We're going to make mistakes. But we're going to keep serving God no matter what. And we're going to reach this city, this state, and this country as we send people out. Because this is what we've been called to do. And as a church, that's what our vision is. That's what, what we plan on doing. Because the church is important to God. In 1 Timothy three fourteen through 15 he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. You see, the church is referred to as a, a pillar of the buttress of truth, and, and Tim, or Timothy would have understood what this meant because Timothy uh, uh, was, in, was in Ephesus, and the great temple of Diana was in Ephesus, and it had 127 pillars that held up this temple. And he understood what pillars did, especially back in those times. If you guys have ever seen any, any Greek uh, 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 architecture, they, they made amazing structures with these huge pillars that held everything up. But as you took down pillars, the buildings would fall down. Actually, we saw that also in, uh, with the, the, the Philistines when, when uh, uh, Samson, he took down two pillars and the entire Colosseum collapsed in based on just two pillars. Because they, they were the support. They were what held up that entire structure. And the church is like that today. It holds up and supports the truth of the Word of God. It is what's here to spread the gospel. We build the church so that we can spread the gospel and share it with others. Church is a place where people come in and they're loved. It's a church where people come in and they're equipped and where they're trained and where they learn the truth of the gospel and not some peddled version of it, not some distorted version of it like you might see on TV. And this truth of the Word of God is not something that's, that's arbitrary. The truth of the Word of God is not, uh, it's not wishy-washy. It's not, uh, uh, you know, we have people that will say stuff like, you know, you have your truth and I have my truth. Well, there's a problem with that because truth is, is universal. The truth is truth. There's not different versions of truth. There can only be one truth. Mary Lefkowitz, a, a professor at Wesley College. Has anybody ever thought that they spell Wesley stupid? W-E-L-L-E-S-L-E-Y. Every time I read it, I have to correct because I go, well, Wellesley. <laughs> or Wellesley, sorry, not Wesley, sorry. See, it's all messed up. I can't even remember how it's said. They spell it W-E-L-L-E-S. I always want to say Wellesley. Wellesley. <laughs> Mary Lefkowitz, a professor at Wellesley College, said this, The notion that there are many truths might seem well-suited for a diverse society, but when everyone is free to define truth as he or she prefers, as at present, the result is an intellectual and moral shouting match in which the people with the loudest voices are most likely to be heard. See, the problem is, is that people think that we can have multiple truths, but there's only one truth. And the truth is, is that we're all broken, but we can be made whole by Jesus Christ. And we're here to support that truth and share that truth. And the reality is, is that we need the church. There is a, a certain idea, particularly, I found that usually people that have this idea are, are people that uh, claim to be Christians or aren't really walking it out. And it's probably not all of them. Most of them, they... Oh, you know, I, I just don't believe in organized... I, I know this because I was there once. I don't believe in organized religion, or I don't have to go to church to be saved, which is true. You know, the Scripture says the only thing you have to do to be saved is to receive the free gift of Christ. But the problem is, is when you don't go to church, you begin to, 
to to fetter out. You begin to be in, like we talked about the, who you're surrounded by is who influences you. So you can try to be a good Christian all you want, but if you don't surround yourself with other Christians in the church, you're going to to be put out. Like that coal, a, a single coal inside of a fire will burn forever. But if you take that coal outside of the fire, it doesn't have to sit outside the very very long before it goes cold. And the same thing happens to a Christian outside of the church. Amen. In 2 Corinthians 10, 12 through 15, it says, not that, we dare to class, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but we will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit and labors of others, but our hope is that your, as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. This is the other reason why we want to plant churches, is to increase our area of influence. And we're not doing this to compete with others. We're not doing this to see who can do more. And, uh, but we're doing this so that we can have a better impact in this community. And when we reach others, when we plant churches, our, our sphere of influence is effectively increased. It's also one of the reasons why oh, I believe that God has, has given me a vision to start working with other churches in, in this community, to start breaking down that, those barriers of competition. And instead of having little bubbles, we can have a greater sphere of influence together as we multiply together into these communities. Because that is our hope, is that that our hope is that as our faith, as your faith increases, our area of influence among you be, becomes greatly enlarged. And this works in two ways. One, in planting churches, because we have more people that can reach other people. Because the reality is, is that there are people that you can reach that I'll never reach. There are people that you know that you can invite to church that you can invest into that I'll never have a chance to. I may never meet them. If Viola wouldn't have invited you today, Fernando, I would have probably never met you. But the, our areas of influence are different. And we can invite other people in. And we can make an impact. And that goes as our, our faith increases internally, which we'll deal more with next week. But as, we, as our faith increases and our, our, our trust and belief that, that people need what God has for them, we share with more and more people. We're, we're encouraged to share. It becomes a, like Paul says, like he, he said, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Because we just have a burning desire to share what God has done with us so that other people can have it too. And our spirit grows that way. But as we plant churches as well, we're going to have a greater influence. And in this whole reproduction thing, Jesus is actually our template for how this works. Jesus showed us how it was done. He was the first evangelist. In Matthew 4, 18-22, it says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father, father and they followed him. And Jesus was the first one who started reproducing. He said, You know what? I'm going to invest into other people. I'm going to teach them. And he walked out and he, and he found... He found the, the, the first four apostles who were out fishing, and he said, he said, come with me, follow me. And he began to invest into their lives. And he began to train them and lift them up as they, as they followed him. 
When Jesus began his ministry, he planned to be a fisher of men. And he said, he found these guys, and he said, you know what, I'm going to train you to do the same thing. And he multiplied. And at that moment, Jesus' sphere of influence increased. And the reality is, is that Jesus preached to thousands of people. He preached to the multitude. He shared with the multitude. And he cared about them. And he loved them. And they were his purpose. Jesus came to reach everybody. But he invested in the twelve apostles. He walked alongside the twelve apostles. He poured into them so that he could reproduce into them. So that they could reproduce into others. And he spoke parables to the crowds, but he explained the parables to his disciples so that they could do the same thing. And the reality is, is these guys, they gave up a lot. You know, we don't, especially in today's day and age, we don't have that uh, sense of family honor that, that, that happened back then or even in other, other cultures now. But, but not only did they, they, they walk away from great jobs. These were high-paying jobs back then. These fishers, they, they were doing well for themselves. They weren't living in poverty. They weren't like, I guess we'll just try something else. They walked away from, from great provision and, and, and great comfort in their lives. And then not only that, they walked around. I mean, these guys left their dad on the boat, left the family business. That could have brought them dishonor, their family dishonor. They gave up a lot to follow Jesus. But it was worth it to them. They thought that it was, it was something worth doing, following Jesus. You know, I, I don't know what was going through their head, and I don't know how long this process took. You know, the scriptures were written like, he's like, come on, guys. And they're just like, okay. I don't know how it happened. Maybe that is how it happened. Maybe they saw something in Jesus that, that others did, and I don't know how exactly it worked, but they got up and they followed him. They gave up everything. When uh, uh, Elijah was, was called by Elijah, it says that uh, he, he said, give me a second, and he, he tore apart his plow, and he cooked the oxen and, and made an offering to God because the reality was is there was no turning back from him. He, he, he burned his bridges, if you will. And he was going forward to serve God. And we see this idea of reproduction everywhere. Elisha reproduced in Elijah and Jesus and the apostles. And if we keep going, we see the plan in action even with the apostles. And John 1, 40-42, it says, One of the two heard John speak and in, who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought them to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You should be called Cephas. So here we actually see a little bit more of the story, right? It wasn't just Jesus saying, Hey, come follow me. But actually what happened was is, is uh, John spoke and Andrew heard him. This is John the Baptist he's talking about. And Andrew heard about us. And this is what actually happened here was when, when John saw Jesus, the dove, the dove came down on him when he baptized Jesus. And they heard John spoke, said, this is the Messiah, this is the one who's coming. And immediately, Andrew and, and goes and finds his brother. And we see that plan in action. We see that even, even in the beginning, there was reproduction. He finds his brother, and then Jesus comes along and says, follow me. And, and, and uh, I guess I just answered my own question. This is how it happened. They, they saw this. <laughs> but there was reproduction even in the beginning. Matthew 10.1 says, and he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits, to ca- unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So now he sends his 12 disciples out, and he gives them the same authority and power that is. He reproduced into them. 
and, and, and taught them to do the exact same things that he did. He didn't send them out as something lesser. He said, no, you go out on my authority and my power and the things that I'm doing, you can do. You can cast out unclean spirits. You can, you can heal the lame. You can raise the dead. You can, you can do all these things because Jesus reproduced into them completely. It's just like when we, when we send out other churches. We're not sending out lesser churches. We're sending out independent churches that will rise up and do the, the things that God has called them to do as well. When we, we reproduce leaders in our church, we're not recreating something lesser, but they're able to do the same things that we can do. And, and truthfully, the hope of every teacher and every parent is that their pupils and their children will do, go on to do even greater things than they will. Amen? You know what, I'm, I'm willing to bet that these guys didn't feel ready. I bet they didn't feel ready. The good thing is, is that these guys weren't career students. They weren't going to stay being taught their whole life. They had, they had something to do. They were, they were trained, and then they were sent out. But I know they didn't feel ready. How do I know this? Because I don't think they were much different than me. And I know when I got sent out, I didn't feel ready. Even though the reality is, is that there are people pastoring in third world countries that, that everybody in this room has more training and more knowledge of the scriptures than they do, but they're out there doing it, giving it their all. Somebody asked them a question, like, I don't know, but Jesus loves you. Well, what about this? I don't know, but Jesus loves you. Well, what about this? I don't know, but Jesus loves you. Can you does he really have the power to change lives? Well, you see what he did in my life. And if they're not ready, and I know these guys weren't ready, we can do stuff that we're not ready for as well. Just follow God. Let's just trust Him. Amen? And we'll, we'll finish through these, and I'll try to get through them quickly. But these are I just want to go through some more examples in the Scripture of, of this idea of reproduction in people. <coughs> the cliff's already turning, this, turning towards the door. You getting ready to... to to head out. <laughs> in Acts 6, 1 through 5, it says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick up, pick up from among you seven men of good re- repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And when they said, what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and, and Timon, and Permanus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. See, this is a, an idea here where it's, it's, it's the twelve apostles are like, you know, it's not right that we do these things. We, are, we have a role to fulfill right now. But it's not that they never did these things. I guarantee you, they, they did plenty of this stuff when they were following Jesus. They served in his ministry, and, and I'm sure they served plenty of tables and, and did plenty of stuff. But then they were reproducing in the others. Like, you know what, we, we've, we've done this, and now we have a different role to fulfill. And if we divide our time between these two things, we're not going to be effective at either one of them. But let's raise men up who are willing to serve, to serve these widows. And basically, they found seven men who would basically serve food. They would, they would wait tables. They, they ran the soup kitchen. And they took care of them. And, and some people are like, man, that doesn't seem like a very glorious work for God. There are a lot of things that don't seem glorious, but actually the scripture says what seems less honorable, God has actually made more honorable. He honors more. So these guys are serving these women. And we begin to see that replication right then because they were, they were, 
I don't know exactly what they were doing before. They obviously loved God, but we don't hear that they were doing anything before. But then, then they raised them up to step into this ministry. And it seemed like humble beginnings. But that's not where it ends for them. And we, we read more about Stephen, Stephen in Acts 6, 8 through 10. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. That's a far cry from just serving tables, huh? He says, And Stephen was full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, and those from Sicilia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So this was a man who studied under the apostles. He learned and he grew and he started just waiting tables. But now he's a, he's a great man of God and he's, he's ministering and, and telling the truth. And if you read the, I'd encourage you to read the rest of, of Acts uh, 6 here. And it talks about how he goes through and he just preaches one of the best sermons in the entire scriptures. And he sees the heavens open up and he sees, he sees Jesus at the right hand of God. And he was martyred for his faith. He gave up his life to tell people about the gospel. Because he decided that it was worth it, that people would hear about this. And he preached at the expense of his own life, but he started as just someone serving soup. And then God used him in an incredible and powerful way. And not only did he reach those people right then, but he's still reaching people today, thousands of years later, because his story is written in the scriptures. And we see that. And he's not the only one of that seven. We also have Philip the Evangelist. So there was Stephen right here, and then we have Philip, who was also one of the seven. In Acts 8, 5 through 7, it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did for, un- for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had, who had them, and many were paralyzed or lame, were healed. Same thing. There's a man who, who is just decided, you know what, I'm going to help out any way I can. Let me serve tables. And then God use him. He's, he's, he's brought up. He's built up. He's trained. And he gets sent down to Samaria. And, and he begins to, uh, and as far as I understand, he's the first one that went down there. And he makes a huge impact. People are getting saved all the time. As a matter of fact, we found out later that Peter goes down there later where, where he had already uh, evangelized and brings the gift of the Holy Spirit with them. Because Philip didn't know about it at this point. But he goes down there and he, he's making an impact. And then we read even a little bit later in Acts 21, 8 through 9, it says, On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of the Philip, the evangelist. Now he went from, from Philip the server to just Philip in Samaria, yeah, Samaria to Philip the evangelist. He now has a title. He's now recognized for what he's doing. He's Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven. That's how I know he was one of these guys. These are the seven they picked. One of the seven and stayed with them. And then it says, and this is the best part. It says he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So not only did he get invested into not only was he multiplied, he became an evangelist. He went out there. He's, he's changing the world. He's turning the cities upside down. But he's also raising up his daughters in the right way as well. And they're serving God as well. Because his daughters prophesy. He, the, the cycle continues as the reproduction happens. And we'll end here today in Luke six forty four. It says, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. We are going to be known individually and as a church by what we reproduce. That is our our legacy, is in your children and in the people that you train up and you make an impact in. uh, There's a great... um, 
video that was created that talked about um, basically some young man gets ministered to in a coffee shop and it follows the trail of this person gets saved and he ministers to somebody and that person gets saved and they minister to somebody and they actually follow the trail back and I believe it was the, the last one that gets talked to is Billy Graham. And then you see, we obviously know the impact that he's made in the kingdom of heaven. But there's that line of reproduction as we invest in the people. And we can make an impact far greater than we ever imagined if we will reproduce, if we will invest, if we will pour into people. But if we, if we stay to ourselves, if it's, it's only you know, us little group of people and we're not going to, to build other people up, we're not going to send people out, our impact is going to be severely limited. And we'll be known by what we reproduce. Because if we don't reproduce nothing, you know the only things that don't reproduce? They're dead. You don't have to worry about the dead tree in the backyard growing apples. But if we're alive, we're going to reproduce. And what we reproduce is, is who we are. And this is who we are as a church. This is the culture of what we have here. We want to reproduce other godly men and women. We want to reproduce other churches. And we want to make an impact for this city and touch the lives of those who need to know Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.